Hi everyone, it's Monday night, 9 o'clock, it's time for Use It or Lose It, the show where we review all of the weekend Super Rugby, and also we'll have a look at the Six Nations games as well. Basically, any topics that you want to raise, please bring them up with us and with the panel and we'll we'll discuss them. It was certainly a big weekend of rugby, yeah, six Super Rugby games, three Six Nations, and one man you'll notice is missing tonight is Couch Critic, he's over in Australia. I saw some tweets today, he's looking to watch the Lions practice over there in New South Wales. That's where he is at the moment, but he'll be back in a couple of weeks. But let's introduce you to the panel. I'm going to start at my bottom left. Tyler, good to have you back on the show. Uh, busy, busy weekend of rugby just passed. Tyler, we've lost you sound-wise there. I'm going to come back to you. Um, I, I, I don't know, we could hear you before, and I don't know if you've plugged something in or whatever, but I will come back to you and, and test you out. So let's go up to Andre. Andre, uh, yeah, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. Excellent. Uh, some good performances this weekend. A couple of contentious issues to talk about as well. I want to touch on that tackle, uh, Berger Urdendahl, which has got quite a lot of publicity on Twitter. But overall, um, a decent weekend for the South African teams, in particular the, the Sharks and the Stormers. Uh, I must admit, uh, I was actually quite happy with all the rugby that I viewed this weekend. Um, from all the aspects, from how the how the teams approach the games, how they try to execute things, uh, compared to last week, uh, I'd say chalk and cheese. This weekend was a far better advert for Super Rugby compared to the previous week. Yeah, I must admit, I also enjoyed it. It's probably the most I've got to watch as well. Uh, let's see uh, Jacques there. He's uh, looking fit and healthy, which is great. We know he was in hospital for a while. Good to have you back on the show. And uh, you started to work again today, Jacques. Yeah, thanks for having me back again, and um, I'm also glad to be back and I'm almost feeling like a human being again. Excellent. I suppose one thing about being uh, resting is you probably got to watch a lot of rugby on the weekend. Yeah, shucks. I must admit, um, not just rugby, I watched quite a bit of sport this this last few, uh, I'd say, week and a half. So it's, been, it's actually been fun just having a bit of a normal life, if I can call it that. So, yeah, and especially I did get a few, not as much rugby as I could have watched, but I think I watched enough to, to kind of have an idea of what's going on at, at least. And thanks to Twitter, at least I, I was in touch with everything else. Oh, well, with Twitter, you're always in touch. Let's try Tyler again and see if we've got his sound back. Tyler, can you hear us? We can't hear you for some reason. We could hear you earlier. I see you've got headphones in. Maybe just try and unplug them and see if that makes a difference. Um, occasionally, things like that that happen. Let's see if we can hear you now. Wait, I don't know what's happened with Tyler. Tyler, perhaps um, just go out and come back in again, and, and we'll see if that. Oh, there we go. There we go. Can you hear me? Yes, now we can um, hear you. Excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Um, in the show, and we are very excited to talk about the weekend's rugby. Excellent. Well, I thought, guys, we can run through the games. We don't have to spend too much time on all of the games, maybe focus on the South Africans ones. But, Tyler, while we got you on uh, loud and clear, we'll, we'll start off on, on Friday morning, and that was the Crusaders up against the Highlanders. A convincing win by the Crusaders in the end, 20 points. They were never really threatened, and I suppose this one went really according to the form book. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think I might have said in this podcast earlier in the year that I thought the Highlanders would be a bit more competitive and hey, that's not the case. I think the Highlanders are looking like they'll be a bottom-off bottom team. But yeah, the Crusaders did what the Crusaders do and 
matches like this, um, if they face like low ranked opposition, they usually like put them away. And yeah, I think they look really good. Maybe the one sort of weak point, if you can call it that, is I mean the tight five isn't as good as it has been in the past, and maybe that's also because Sam um, Sam uh, Barrett isn't uh, Scott Barrett. Sorry, not Sam. Scott Barrett yes, is yes. not playing. So I think that's a big factor, but you know, they you can. I think a team can have a good go at the at the front eight, and I mean, especially a team like the Stormers that have basically a Springbok um, pack. I think that would be a very interesting matchup. But Crusaders doing what they do best, getting a bonus point win, and it was it was a full crowd as well, which was very exciting as well, which I found really good. Yeah, certainly they show no signs of, of slipping up. They obviously have lost the one game to the Chiefs, but aside from that, they've been on top class. We'll talk about the Chiefs game in a little while. But, Jacques, f- f- Crusaders are firmly at the top of the betting boards, I can tell you, to to win the tournament with the Chiefs really their the only rivals in the betting at the moment. So no surprise there. Did you catch this game? I've caught most of it today at work. So uh, And over the weekend, I did see some highlights. Um yeah, I'm not 100% convinced yet. I think they, they look, they, they, they're quite a young team now. They've lost quite a few of their big boys, um, although the depth there is so, you know, so much. So it's, you know, it's just a matter of time when they're going to be, up, if we can call it that, you know, full strength again. But I think, like Tola just mentioned now, you know, it's like, you know, they, um, they're still dominating with, you know, everything. It's going to be interesting to see. One of the top, you know, like the Stormers or Sharp. Um, I'm not sure, you know, at the end of the day, I know there's a team that always gets to miss one team. So at least hopefully one of those two teams can go there or come here and you know, show us that South African rugby is definitely up and um, New Zealand rugby is taking a bit of a dip. Because I think um, looking at all the New Zealand teams at the moment, the Crusaders are the only one that seems to be consistent. Yeah, they certainly are the most consistent. I'm, I like you. I'm looking forward to when they meet, when they when they run into sort of some of the South African teams and that, particularly on the road. Andre, for you, the Crusaders uh, going to win this uh, New Zealand con- conference unopposed? No, I think the the Chiefs had a bit of a speed wobble this weekend, and I think they'll bounce back. So they'll definitely be pushing the Crusaders for that top spot. And regarding the Highlanders, I think they. They're kind of in the same situation as the Bulls. They've lost just too many people and a massive rebuilding phase for them. And I, uh, on, the, on, our, on the one rugby group I'm on there, uh, we've got a New Zealand there who's a big uh, Highlander fan and he's, he's just pulling his hair out pretty much like the Bulls fans. They, they're, just not, they're just not up for it. Excellent. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to chat a little bit in detail about the Bulls later. Let's move on to the next game then, and that's the Rebels up against the Sharks. And Andre, I'll stay with you. An impressive win here for the Sharks. Uh, they, they were slight favourites for this game with the bookmakers, but they delivered pretty convincingly in, in what I found quite an enjoyable game of rugby to watch. No, I, you know what I enjoyed about that game? Because of the, the kickoff time, was it reminded me of like watching our very first tours of New Zealand where we woke up early in the morning, you got some Omar Rusks, cup of coffee and you're sitting in front of the television watching the game what what i really enjoyed about that game was i think that's probably the best game we've seen Noche play in uh for a very long time not i'm not saying he hasn't played good games but that one was particularly special 
Um, and, uh, another two outsta- uh, things that stood out for me in that game was uh, I think they'd learned from the previous week with, with all the disruptions and everything that happened where, where the previous week they had those injuries the, before the game and like within the first 10 minutes. So I think it shows like how, how a team can perform when, they, they sta- when, the, when the team is stable throughout the week and leading into the game and then that first half, half hour. Um, Bosch's defense was a massive talking point during that game and after the game. Um, and people throwing up st- statistics, com- trying to compare him to Vili LaRue or uh, Pollard, who's more busy. So, you know, we got on, we got into the statistics to have a look. But I think for, for me personally, if he, he, if he really wants to put up his hand for a spot in the Springbok squad, he's going to have to start, like Rossi said, start winning a little bit more, a few more battles. It, it, to me, it kind of, it's kind of like he picks his battles. And then what happens is you only see him at specific times. You and, and in Test rugby, you can't you can't have that. Um, another player, again, I think he had a great first half fussy, but in the second half kind of tended to fade away. But I think we will see over the over the course of the, the season, we'll see how he improves and uh, how he takes responsibility for the back three. Excellent. Well, let's go on to Tala. Tala, I know you mentioned your connections. Not the best tonight. And i got to say, I'm having all sorts of Wi-Fi problems as well. I'm really, really disappointed the last week or so with my Wi-Fi. These service providers are getting away with murder. But what do you make of that? I mean, I've got to say that that Sharks backline for me is is just superb. If they can pick their first string backline, they're going to be hard to beat the season. Uh, Tyler, unfortunately, I think the, the signal's gone there with you. So I'm going to move on to Jacques. Well, and you can... Oh, there we go. Carry so, on, Tony. So I think this six to fifteen of the sharks are probably up there with like top what, three best in the, in the in the tournament. Um as as Andre said, like um Noche's performances, I think even last week as well, um, have been amazing. And I think he's sort of showing some of his best rugby since he um played um for the for the Stormers as well. Um, yeah, I think the, the backline is doing well. It's growing. I think the weakness of the backline is that, yes, they're great in attack. They might not be the best in defense. So, you know, if you run hard at Bosch, if you run hard at Fassi, you know, you, you might get a bit of purchase there. So, I mean, I think that will then come with um, Everett as the coach and then I'm as the captain and sort of the captain of the defense as well. Do they sort of try to place them in, in, in strategic places within their, in their defense? Um, because I think, yeah, I think Bosch's problem might be more of an attitude problem. I think Fassi's problem is more just a technique. I think he just always goes a bit too high. So, you know, at least Fassi's sort of situation, I think, can be easily fixable. So, I mean, yeah, not ideal. And obviously, these are sort of the big working points for people that, you know, would be sort of in Springbok contention. But I mean, yeah, they all, I mean, Bosch can't be more than, I think he's, he's, Bosch must be 23, 24 now. Yeah, I mean, and he's one of the senior sort of um, players in terms of age in that back line. So, you know, that's a really good young back line. That'll be so, it'll be, it'll be great if we can see the Sharks team like stay together for two, three years. Like, I think in two, three years time, this team could be seriously good. But I mean, so far the tour's been good. I mean, two wins out of out of three, you get a time. So 
good, nice early tour, and yeah, they can come back and um, then build on a really good innings in, in Durban as well. Let's go to you now, Jacques. I mean, yes, what Tyler says, they're two wins out of three on tour. They play the Reds this week, and I mean, they've got to have a fair crack at beating the Reds. They, they, I would say that that game is mm -hmm. going to be almost a choice game in terms of who the, who the favourite is there, but uh, probably begrudgingly for you being a Bulls fan, you've got to give, give quite a bit of credit to the Sharks. <laughs> oh, it's okay. I'm getting used to having to give compliments where I wouldn't have in the past. But, I mean, if, some, if something or someone's good, you've got you to gotta give them the credit. And, um, you know, just listening to Andre and Tala now, I mean, it's just obvious that backline of the Sharks it's really good and I mean just um, I was just sitting thinking now but, um, if I'm not mistaken I'm didn't play this week so um, to see how well they did without him it's, it's a hell of a compliment I think to them as a, as a team and um, you know just going through the names yes Kerwin I agree with uh, Andre um, to me he's not a he's, he's not a current Bach um, I'm missing the word that I want to use. Um, there's quite a bit of work for him. We all know what talent he's got, but there's a few things lacking still. I mean, Mapimpi, we don't have to talk about him. He's just that man. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how many tries he can get this season. And, I mean, he even offered up one of his tries as a gesture to Kerwin's 50th game, which is, un you know, which is... Not many guys would do that. It just shows you the kind of person which Mapimpi is. Um, Fassi, I think, you know, enough has been said about him. And I honestly do hope that he's just going to grow from strength to strength. Because um, I think at the end of the day, yes, um, you know, Vali is there. And I know a lot of people aren't overly confident about Vali. Um, but at the moment, he's the man in the driving seat. But with Fassi playing the way he is, you know, he, he's, he's not just knocking on the door, but definitely banging on the door. And someone that's pleasantly surprising me um, for a change is Andre Esterizen, who's, um, who's actually starting to play to, you know, um, you know to his strength, um, if, if it makes sense what I'm saying. I mean, he's a big, bulky guy. Um, you kind of expect a guy like that to be running over, you know, most people. And, I mean, the try that he scored, I, I watched that try today, and that is pretty impressive you know um yeah he had a lot to do there he had a lot to do to score that try exactly sort of and, where you wouldn't normally see a try score day yes exactly and in the past he's had less to do yet he's fumbled you know balls and squandered some easy tries and stuff so um and i think it's the second time this season i've seen him do something where he's actually put in the effort to get over the line and actually score so you know that's good for him hopefully it's not the checkbook waiting on the other side of you know, of the ocean that's that's motivating him at the moment. But, yeah, you know what? Um, at the moment, the shots are really, really doing well. And, yes, also, I, I just got to mention, I mean, Noche, I think three weeks ago when I, I was on the show, I did also mention, you know, he's showing, showing he's, he's not lazy, as um, I think I use those words. Um, you know, he's starting to show something. And, I mean, what I saw from him this weekend was yes, even more impressive. So, you know, as much as I hate to say it, I really hope the Sharks can just get better from here on out. Yeah, so I can get the feeling, guys, that the Sharks play their best rugby away from home just because of the conditions more than anything else. If you look at the Sharks' backline, for example, they're actually ideally suited 
to sort of almost Ellis Park-like conditions, you know, with, with the hand. And they got to play yeah. so much of their rugby down in Durban where it's greasy and you don't really get to see the best of the guys. But it was certainly a good performance. And uh, the South African conference is shaping up really well. The Hagiaris are obviously right there. And, of course, the Stormers are unbeaten. But let's get on to the next game I want to just touch on because this was the upset of the weekend. I can tell you as a betting man, virtually everybody I know was on the Chiefs to win this game by 15 points or more. I thought I'll be conservative <laughs> and I went by nine or more. I thought, well, surely that's going to come in. I mean, the Brumbies raced to a 26-0 lead. And, Andre, let's go to you there. I mean, nobody saw this one coming, surely. No, I think the first thing that got said at within 20 minutes was um, Super Brew in its chops. Everybody <laughs> complained about that. Yeah, um, But I actually jumped. I'm not a big betting man, but when I saw they were with that quick lead, I quickly jumped onto the betting platform and and made a, made a good 50% profit there on, on that game. Uh, so you got the Brumbies to win outright then? Yeah, yeah, just a straight okay. outright uh, double, uh, double, uh, doubled my money. Um, but yeah, I, I, actually, I, I gave that game a, a quick skip to do some parenting. But the, I caught like the last 10 minutes of the game. So it would be probably unfair for me to really comment on the game as a whole. Um, but I think, I, I think, I don't know what the Chiefs did because they should not have given that game up to the, to the Brumbies. Well, let's go to Tyler now and see. Hopefully, Tyler, your connection is is better as well. This was a shock result. And I guess for me, the thing I'm looking at this game, and I'm, I'm saying I don't know what to make of it from a Chiefs perspective, but I also don't know what to make of it from a Brumbies perspective because the Brumbies really hadn't shown too much. Uh, you know, up until this point, they'd lost to the Highlanders at home the week before, and suddenly they go and beat the, the Chiefs on the road. Tyler, we got uh, no sound there with you. Let's see. Give you a sec to try and work that out. Really battling from a, a technical point of view. <laughs> How are we going? I moved to a new flat, um, so it's I think the the, the network networks are where I used to live. Um, yeah, I think with 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 the Brumbies, I think this is more of the Brumbies doing well than the Chiefs doing badly, I think. I think the Brumbies, from what I saw, also just had a really good game. I also didn't watch the whole game. I watched sort of the extended highlights, but it just looked like all the big players were playing well. Um, Tom Banks looked like he had a great game. The Flauf looked like they had a great game. Um, so, I mean, if all the good players step up, they're not a half-bad team. And I think one can, they probably are, you know, clearly, actually, they're probably better than the best team in Australia. So, you know, you are, um, they shouldn't be too far from like the top three, top four. Um, so I think it just shows um, sort of the Crusaders and the Chiefs not being too far ahead that, you know, on their day, the Brumbies can travel to New Zealand and, and cause a bit of an upset. So, you know, that's good for the competition. Certainly is. It shows you that you just can't take anything for granted in, in Super Rugby. And, and Jacques, did you catch this game? I mean, for me, I'll tell you what, I do think the Chiefs underestimated the Brumbies, just even some of the team changes they made. But before they knew what happened, they were they were sort of 19-0 down. Uh, you expected this massive comeback in the second half, but the Brumbies scored first, and, and it was really game over from there. I must admit, I saw the, only the extended highlights, and um, from what I saw, I was pretty 
surprised at the way the Brumbies were going at the Chiefs. I mean, Jesus looked like a man possessed. So, I mean, that was it's really good um, seeing that kind of rugby um, coming from them. Like I think Dallas said, you know, um, it, it was um, a matter of, you know, the Brumbies being their best and, um, you know, the Chiefs just not arriving at the box. I thought the Chiefs would come back in the second half. Even though they were 19 no down or something, I still believe they could do it. At one stage, I thought they were going to do it, but I think the Brumbies just uh, you know, managed the game. Um, if they can do that again in New Zealand, that's going to be amazing. But I don't know. Um, putting in an effort like that, we can it's quite a lot. Excellent. I hope that uh, the sound was a little bit bad there, but I don't know if that was my connection or if everyone else heard it like that. But also, I was just trying to look up while you were talking, I was trying to look up the Brumbies Flahoff, the number 10. His name escapes me right now, but I thought he was absolutely superb in the game as well. Could be a real up and comer in the, in the 10 jersey for Australia. Let's go on to the next game, though. And it's the Sunwolves 6 uh, 5 and the Red Jacques, can you hear me there? Uh, yeah, sorry, sorry, there was a bit of noise there. I wasn't sure. No, sorry. I think I'm, I'm mute. Tyler, I'm just muting you. I think there seems to be some interference there. And I'll just unmute you when it's when you're going to chat. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I mean, that game just... Um, I saw the reaction on Twitter. I didn't actually watch the game. And I must be. I must say that, um, yeah, that score kind of took me by surprise, if anything... Um, Look, I mean, I, I think week in and week out, we've all been expecting this from the Sun Wolves that we saw this weekend, and it hasn't happened. So people were starting to kind of like wonder, shucks, is there something we don't know? You know, but uh, I think finally the, the the cracks are starting to show. And I mean, yeah, you know, are they really, or you know, was it just a bit of luck in the beginning, the first few rounds that they did so well? Um, and, you know, are we are we now seeing the true the true sun wheels coming out so also on the other side the reds haven't been you know overly convincing and now they went and you know did that to the reds so uh, um, the sun wolf sorry um so it's it's kind of a bit of a mind mind boggle at the moment as to what do we expect from these teams going forward um you know hearing the Sharks playing the Reds this weekend, um, I'm sure it's going to be, the Sharks are going to kill them. Uh, I, I don't think any, you shouldn't read too much into what we saw this weekend between the Reds and the Sunwolves. Right, it's going to be an interesting one. Uh, let's mm. go to Andre now, get his opinion on, on this game. I mean, I've, I'm for, I for one have been quite impressed with the Reds throughout the season. I feel they've had a very hard start to their campaign, three away matches, narrow loss to the Brumbies. They looked like beating the Lions at one point and and yes, they let the Aguiaris come back from far behind to beat them. But to me, the signs have always been there that this red side are ready to perform. I didn't expect this sort of a victory, but I don't think they're going to be a side to be taken lightly, particularly at home and particularly given they got quite a scrum. Yeah, I think they definitely uh, they've stepped up the this season compared to last season. But I think they, they've been able to hold on to a couple of uh, uh players over the last year plus James O'Connor played a, had a very good game but again we've got to look at the opposition and Sunwolves are really known 
not known for being great travelers. And, I, and the chopping and changing of that side has not done them good. The, the lack of support from uh, Japan itself uh, in, into that franchise hasn't helped. And I think at, we, when they're at home on their home turf, they will, they'll be able to put up fights. But uh, without disrespecting the team, I think it, it's good that they, they're getting the chop. I know one, one good performance over a whole season is, is no justification to keep them in the tournament. And, uh, yeah, I think the, 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 that, that Reds front row is, is, not, is not bad uh, with JP there and those guys. Um, they're not world class. They're not. Uh, they're not, not going to send fear, but they're definitely not going to stand stand back like they did. They didn't stand back for the Lions or the Wagaris. So um, I think they, they uh, that platform they're going to give the their backline is definitely going to be helpful going into the rest of the tournament. Excellent. Well, let's see. We got Tyler back. I could see he popped in and out again there. Tyler, I've unmuted you now. Uh, we do seem to be getting a bit of feedback on your line, though. I don't know if um, let, let's try and hear you out, and we'll we'll give it one more attempt there. But I guess we were just saying, you know, from a shark's point of view, they got to they, they, they got to respect the red side. It's it's not a bad side at all. Um, there are more than a few Australians in that team. Um, oh, sorry, as Wallabies that I, I mean, obviously there's a lot of Australians in there. But, um, you know, like you said, from Tupo to um, Saleki Lotu as well in, in the back row, James O'Connor, um, Henry Spates is back. You know, that's that's not a bad team. I mean, I think that's the bones of maybe even a playoff team. So I wouldn't be too surprised if the Sharks and the Reds are more or less around about the same finish, um, at, at the same, they finish in, the, in around about the same positions at the end of the season. So it's not going to be an easy game for the Sharks. Um, I think both teams would be, ex I would say, expecting, but both teams should be hoping for a win. So it should be a good contest. Um, but yeah, like you said, Brent, I think they were a bit unlucky with the starts that they had. Um, they gave that win away to the Lions and probably also to the Jaguars as well. So, you know, they could have been now three from four. And, you know, that would be putting them, I think, at the top of Australian Conference really as well. So um, it's going to be, a, I think it's going to be a really, I think that could be a game of the weekend, actually, the Reds or the Sharks one. Yeah, certainly uh, Kamal Chowdhury in the live chat saying over on points. So he's obviously a betting man and he's looking for points in this game. And I have to agree with you. It's two sides that are not afraid to run the ball. I'm enjoying the way the Reds are playing as well. And I think that could be a high-scoring game. But uh, while we've got a decent line there with you, um, Tyler, let's stick with you for the Stormers against the Hagiwaris. First points that the Stormers have conceded at home this season, but they still got up and won fairly comfortably. Yeah. Yeah, I think the Hagiwaris just showed that they are, you know, a serious team this year. I mean, they were the losing finalists last year, and I don't think they'll be too far off that unfinished game this year. So, um, yeah, like I said earlier, a Springbok um, forward pack. So, you know, they're able to grind out those sort of results, especially when it's um, all wet and, and, and rainy in, in Cape Town. Um, from what I saw, it looked like Damon Phillips wasn't too bad in the rain. Um, I think every week is a learning process for him. So, you know, he hasn't played a lot of rugby at 10. So it's, I think he'll sort of slowly but surely just gain sort of more and more um, experience in that position. 
And yeah, Herschel Yankees is just magic. Um, he's able to create things out of nothing. The interception try is just another example of that. And I think, you know, you you with with someone like Herschel Yankees, he has a bit of that sort of Colby Hair Aplon type of like can create magic out of nothing um, type of player. And you need one of those players in order to to win the big games. The yeah, I mean, I think the only concern I have with the Stormers at the moment is just that 10, 12, 13 um, combination. They're still, I think, trying to get to know each other. Jamie Roberts is not um, familiar with the Afrikaans um, backline moves yet, but you know, slowly but surely, I think the the the, the, flower, the midfield combination is going to start gelling a little bit. I think. Before we move off from you, then just to ask you, Damien Phillips, do you see him as a ten, or do you think he should be back in in the fifteen jersey? I think he's a ten, um, but it'll <laughs> require maybe a year to to um, to to refine him, if I can put it like that. Yeah, I, I, but I also I can understand why people uh, sort of jump from one to the other because there's a lot you can see with his running game where you think if he has a lot of space, but you know having him near the game line as much as possible. It's such a, a, a great attacking threat. And, you know, unlike um, some of the smaller flyovers like um, Yankees and um, Bosch, you know, he can, he can hold them. He can sort of, he can do the job in, in defense as well. So it's not like he can send a lot of flankers down his, um, his, um, his channel. So I think he has the, the makings of a good 10. I, I usually want a player to specialize at 10 or 15 as early as possible. And I, I'm not a thousand percent sure. I, I'd rather, I'd, I'd be more than happy to give Williams of the season at 10 and let's see how he does. I mean, yeah, maybe between Dobson and Erasmus and Nino, but they can make the call after that. Excellent. Yeah, I like the way you're thinking there. I must admit, I do like him as a 15. But it makes sense to give him a good run as ten. Andre, what do you think about Willemsa first of all, and secondly the storm? Um, Willemsa, like during the game or just after the game, I said uh, Willemsa and fullback go like go together like peas and carrots. Um, fr uh, from the first time I saw him playing with the, the under nineteens, when he had space, he, he really could could open up a open up the field and do things. I think at 10, he's just too close to the action and his speed and decision-making isn't quite there yet. Um, if they've made the uh, when I say that, I mean Western Province coaching uh, structure, they've made the decision that he's going to be um, the starting 10, that, that's the call they've made. And I think over the, a long period, he will then get better and better. Um, but I think at this stage, like, when, when they come up against uh, the Crusaders and the Chiefs, they're going to need a, a proper general at fly-off. And I think that's where Jean-Luc Duplessis is going to come in. And um, I think then Willemse at fullback with uh, Duplessis at fly-off might just give that backline a little bit more structure to try and execute what they want to do with the forward pack dominating. So that, that's what I, uh, how I look at the Willemse situation. If it was me, I would have sat down they, i'm assuming they've sat down with him and he said he wants to play fluff and they're backing it and i've got no issue with that i just think when you look at him when when he's got the space he, he's able to do more with the ball than Vili could just because of the his running style his speed his 
uh, just everything that he does is, I think, is suited for 15. With the game in, uh, as a whole, um, I actually jinxed the Stormers because just before the about 10 minutes before the Jags uh, scored their chart try, I put out a tweet and I said, um, another egg loading. And unfortunately, that, that kind of went tits up for them. So I'll take the blame for that one. Um, I was very impressed with Sonatla. I think that's probably the best game he's played for the Stormers and in the 15-man game. He really he had one he had one mistake where he kept the ball in, tapped it back into the 22, then kicked it out on the full. But in general, the kickoffs, he was first man there making the tackle. Um, he's running, he's supporting, his decision making was all really, really good. Um, one player I'm I'm I don't want to write him off just yet, but I'm, I'm, I was always a Dylan Lates fan, but up, up until now, I think he's been really, really quiet. Uh, there's an old saying that great, uh, great players make great plays. The last thing I remember Dylan Lates doing really, really well was that behind the back pass where he was lying on the ground. Since then, I, I'm waiting for something like that, and it's been quite a while. Um, and then that France Erasmus, uh, sorry, France Malheba tackle. Like, I'm, I'm fully behind the, the World Rugby Union uh, tackle criteria and the, the directive they've given out. But th that's where they've got it wrong with, with something like that, where a player literally puts his head at somebody's knees while running with the ball. And for, for him to be punished like that is just absolutely ridiculous. Um, that, that shouldn't even be a penalty, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I'm, I tend to agree with you there. You know, I'm, I'm often also, uh, you know, getting into debates on Twitter, but I just feel, you know, mitigating circumstances have to be end of the day. I mean, if a guy's running at you, stooped down like that, uh, you know, what what can you do? How do you tackle the guy? So it's it's that fine line. I understand they want to make the game safer, but at the same time, I do think some of the decisions are crazy. And and you know, for me, if a player is going to get a card, there must be some form of intent in in what he's done. And and quite often at the moment, yeah. it's just bloody bad luck, quite frankly, that you're getting the card. And you can't really say that he would have done anything different the next time, because he still would have yeah. had to make the tackle. And you know, how would he? It's not like you're changing his behavior there. It's different if the guy goes in high and, and, and hits him high from, from the start. But let's go down to Jacques now, because I know, Jacques, you had a few comments about Willemse. You were sort of asking the question on Twitter, 10 or 15. And when I said to you I liked Willemse at 15, you did make the comment that you didn't you didn't think Jacques Duplessis was, was, a, was a great one to step in at 10. Yeah, I'm listening to Andre there, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, this conversation is going horribly now. <laughs> Because I'm not a Jean-Luc Duplessis fan at all. I'm sorry, he's had how many seasons? And you know what? He might be a good player, but I just... I, I hear what Andre says and I'm like... You know, I know we all support players differently and stuff and we see things differently and that, but as much as I want Willemse to be a number 10, he's not showing anything at the moment. And I'm here and I see the conversations on Twitter and everywhere where people are saying, yeah, well, give him a chance, give him a chance. I think one of the comments I made was, how much chance do you give a guy? Um, uh, you know, you guys just mentioned now, what's going to happen when they face the Crusaders, whether it's home or away? The, the Crusaders the Crusaders don't change when the, whether they're home or away. Um, you know, then, like you said, they're going to need a, a, a real general. 
Jean-Luc Duplessis, I'm sorry, I can't see him being a general in even against the Crusaders. Um, I've got nothing against the guy. It's just a matter of a few seasons. He hasn't really shown as much as he is. I think he's an out-and-out number 10, and um, Duplessis. So, but the problem for me is it's just there's something lacking, quite a lot lacking. I mean, there's no way he's going to, um, you know, come into a Springbok conversation anytime soon. Where I know Willem is obviously in the conversation, but there's also something lacking. And something that I did pick up this weekend um, from watching, you know, from watching the rugby and just listening to what people were saying is, and I think, Andre, you might have brought it up as well, He's playing too flat at the moment. And maybe he just needs to step a bit back, you know, just to give him that extra bit of space. And, you know, that would maybe give him a bit more confidence to then start doing what he naturally does. I mean, he, he was a 10 at, you know, at school level, and the 19 level, and he was pretty good. But now suddenly, you know, we're seeing him at super rugby level. And I'm, I'm, so, I'm so hesitant to, to, say, to say it, but I'm going to say it now anyway. It's... it's um, is this is is super rugby just a level too high for him to be a, a team? I'm I'm all for giving him you know um, a bit more time, but you know I'm just wondering how long the Stormers will have to give him time until they make a call and say you know what maybe you mean more for us at 15. But then the question for me is who's going to come in at 10? And I, I know it's John Luke Duplessis, but I don't think he's the best choice um, either way anyway. So um, yeah. It was just something I picked up, and I know, I know it's a it's a it's a conversation that's been going on for since before this season started, and I think it's a conversation um, that we'll be having on this platform for a while still. So, um, but I really, I honestly do hope for not just for the Stormers' sake, but for South Africa's sake that um, Billumse can find you know can find whatever he needs to show us that general um, attitude, you know that that I think everybody wants him to have. Jacques, just quickly, sorry, man, I got my Wi-Fi. I've had to change onto my 3G connection. It's crazy stuff. Quick question for you, and you may have answered it while I was away, but would you keep Willemse at 10 for the season and give him that run now? Um, I, I, I sort of touched on it. I did say I, I'll be, it will be interesting to see how long this, um, the Stormers will, you know, keep the fight to see if he can, you know, get out of this rut. If, if maybe that's a better way of saying some, you know, saying it, because um, I think we all know he's better than what we're seeing at the moment. There's just something there that's, you know, that's not happening for him at the moment, and hopefully it comes right sooner than later. Excellent. Well, let's move on to the Bulls against the Blues. It's the last Super Rugby game of the weekend. I must tell you, when I previewed this game on Good for the Game, I predicted the Blues would lead at halftime. And the Bulls would win the match. And in fact, what happened was the Bulls led at halftime and the Blues came back and won the match. And Jock, I'll stay with you. You're obviously disappointing from a, a Bulls point of view, but uh, I guess it was just one of those games. Conditions weren't great. It really wasn't. I mean, I was, I think it was on kind of the same time as the uh, the France-Wales game or something like that. I was I was watching more Six Nations because it just wasn't a, it wasn't a great spectacle. On a loftus pitch that was absolutely being ripped up. I don't know what's wrong with the with the ground there. Well, I have the question you're asking me is not about the ground because I can't answer you there. I'm not a what's the word horticulturist or something. <laughs> but yeah, that is quite shocking. Um, 
seeing seeing lofters being ripped up like that we actually spoke about it at work today as well um i don't know what what could be the reason but um I, maybe it looked worse than what it was it wasn't as bad as um i, I think you guys remember alice park a few years ago jesus looked like the beach was starting to pop through at you know in Joburg. but um yeah it was quite interesting seeing the pitch all over the show it wasn't just patches it was pretty much every corner and every inch of it being ripped up but yeah look um i actually i really thought the bulls could do it um i felt they were the better wet weather team um i mean i would have i wouldn't even have bothered um you know to even back the bulls if the if it was a dry game because i mean i think we all know a, a new zealand team in dry conditions is just like oh well you know it's the end of the story so um why even play but i really um, thought the bulls added there were three that i can recall there were three unbelievable missed opportunities that the bulls squandered yet again we're talking against the sharks we're talking a bit against the stormers and now we're talking against the blues three games in a row that we're talking about at least three missed opportunities you know for me and yeah, you know, I mean, this is not really a platform to be venting or anything, but I just wish, and I know why it is like that. People just dislike the Bulls because they know that's the only way they get under our skins. And I don't actually, you know, I've, I've, I've learned to kind of just ignore those kind of people because, first of all, I mean, if someone starts like that, it's just, you know, there goes your rugby credibility, whatever. Because in all honesty, and I still believe it, if this team gets it right, they're going to get it right well. And they they are so close to it but there's just something there i don't know if the the balance between the experience and the youngsters um is just you know completely way out and the youngsters are maybe too much that they they just they're so eager to play obviously but in the same in the same breath they make silly mistakes because that's really what it is there's silly mistakes happening at crucial times um I'm not even going to go into the Mornaystein Marnie Libok thing because honestly, to me, um, yeah, it's just not going to end well. Um, I don't, I don't think that people are just seeing things at the moment that they shouldn't be seeing. They're saying stuff that they shouldn't be saying, and at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, I can, yeah, let me rather keep quiet. <laughs> Okay. Well, you can keep going on that one. We're going to bring Tyler in. And I guess just, I know Tyler has had his opinions on Twitter on the Marnie Lebok Mornay Stain. And Tyler, for me, this is a situation now where, where perhaps you'd have to say that the, the Bulls have not even run their race yet, but they're pretty close. And um, now is probably the time to start giving Marnie Lebok a run because, um, you know, otherwise, what would be the point of it all? Yeah. Look. <sighs> Um, I mean, I'm a Bulls fan as well, um, and the past, so yeah, 3-1, so, but like the past like 19 years, you know, with a few blips along the way, have just been poor planning from the Blue Bulls, like constantly just making the wrong choices in terms of coaching, in terms of player selection, in terms of which players to back. Most of the players that like the Bulls sort of start and develop become way better players in other unions as well. Like, you know, I mean, just constantly just hitting a brick wall and it just doesn't seem like there's a plan for the future. And I think this whole, I mean, I don't even want to, yeah, 
I think people know what my feelings on the state thing are, but I, my only question is what's the plan for next year? Because I don't think anyone here was, okay, I think Jacques, you're a lot more hopeful than I am. I, I was expecting us to be close to the wooden spoon. I was expecting us to be, you know, being beaten by not a great Blues team as well. And, you know, I, I, I don't know what more, like, I don't know what the, the end game here is. Like, oh, are we going to play Monestay next year? Are we going to play Josh Strauss next year? Or, you know, should we not try maybe getting some of these youngsters that we, we spend a lot of money on to buy to get them onto the team? And, yeah, it's just, it's exasperating because, you know, there isn't an, a, a, a commitment either way. Like, either, okay, we're going to try to sort of sneak wins and basically make make teams play <laughs> the slow, dirty rugby that we play and, and, like, you know, basically try to pull it down to the gutter. I think that's been our strategy for the past few games. Or, you know, I don't, I don't even want us to throw the ball around. I just, I mean, it just doesn't make too much sense having, you know, Moise is your fly-off and your back three is Khalad, Speckman and and um, Hendrix, like that, there isn't a match in terms of like the skill set that you know the battery has and the skill set of the flyer. And yeah, you know, so it's just constant things like that. And I think even the Nongkotwana dropping as well was just weird. I don't understand how you know he was the one that was seen as the person that wasn't performing <laughs> in two games where there wasn't too many people that at all put their hands up. So I mean. I don't know why Porto Human still has a job as a as a professional rugby coach. I think his levels must up, honestly. And I just it just isn't a plan. And if the Bulls really want to make the most of the season, tell them tell the senior players, thank you so much. Please sit on our bench. Please mentor our players. Put in these youngsters, because we need to know by the end of the year whether someone like Lebok can be our fly-off next year or should we try to get a 19, 20-year-old somewhere else? Because I don't know if 36-year-old will next year will be our answer next year. I don't know if 32-year-old Josh Trask will be our answer next year. I don't know if 33-year-old Cornell Hendricks will be our answer this year. So we need to make a call now as to whether we want to set ourselves up for hopefully being somehow competitive in two or three years' time. And, yeah, it's been tough. I know the board have lost a ton of players. Like, it's not all their fault, but, like, you know, the, I can't think of too many players that have gone to the balls and become better players. Probably only the, the props, um, Proboka and Yagane and maybe Sneiman, but other players just haven't even reached their potential. And I'm just now wondering, what are we going to sort of sell to other players now that are coming up to say, you know, it's your, your rugby career and your future in the balls is, is, is safe and secure? Well, let's go up to Andre and get his uh, his opinion on, on on the Bulls there and the comments that uh, that Tala and uh, Jacques have made, Andre. Yeah, um, you know, last week I, I had a dip at the Bulls and after the show, I actually went and sat down and I, I went to look for the word because there was a specific term I was looking for. The term that I was looking for is tactical decision making. And the, I, I'm not trying to defend players or anything, but the only player that I look, when I look at that Bulls side that's got the ability to make good tactical decisions is Mornay Stain. So, if, so for me right now, if I was going to use Mornay Stain, it would be to get us into the right areas so that we can exploit our, our big running player like J 
Johnny Kotzer and Cornell Hendricks and Speckman's Magic and and bringing um, Galant into it. The problem is we get into those areas. When you look at the statistics, we're dominating territory. But then you've got a flank coming in from the side, giving away a penalty. You've got Hendricks knocking the ball on. You, you've got bad decisions being made by the players around the guy you've brought in to help you exploit the, the, great, the, the good that players like the back three have for us. And I'm added to that, like if we go back to the Stormers game, the decision-making on the field was atrocious. You, there's nothing worse than take, being given three points because you're physically dominating and you're getting over the game line, you're winning penalties for offside, players coming in from the, uh, coming in from the side, and you decide to take a scrum or kick to the corner when you know you're up against a team that is known for defending, uh, that's got a great uh, mall defense, or has got a far better scrum than you. I think the only shining light that the Bulls have is, are, are, are their uh, starting two props. Um, if I move away from that, I went and checked. You know, Marius van der Veste isn't in the Bulls. Now, people are going to think I'm complaining about the ref here now. I'm complaining about the Bulls. They've had him six in six matches. They've only been able to win twice. They're now on a four-match losing streak with him. You would have thought they would have gone back, studied how he blows the game, and adapted the way they play so that they understand. That's what the Rossi did with the, the French refs. So when we get Roman Portier or Jerome, we know what to do. We know how they're going to blow. And I just we've had him three... The, our first three matches have all been Marius. Now, people would go, we, we're complaining about that. But after game number three, you should have been able to sort out because you know what he's going to blow or how he's going to blow. You should know he's, you should have your tricks up your sleeve. And we just don't have it. Um, and I think you could see the frustration on Mornay's face. Uh, I think it was in the first half where he was like frustrated with the guys giving away penalties when we got into the... Uh, to the into the red zone at halftime put to him and said the same thing you know he's these penalties and stuff are, are costing them or specifically when they get into good uh good areas and then uh, i know you wanted to talk about uh burger Urdendahl's tackle now for me that's a good hard hit to good tackle however we've been given the framework and when you work down the framework it's a yellow card and if I remember correctly, during the Rugby World Cup, there were a lot of teams that were penalized for very similar tackles. And players either got an off-field yellow and suspension or the on-field uh, red. Uh, Bundi Aki comes, uh, comes into mind. But when we got to the quarterfinals, the semifinals, the teams that adapted to the, that directive on lowering your tackle and making good uh, making good hits in accordance with what uh, the, the world uh, world rugby wanted, those yellow cards dried up. You, we, there, were, there was no high tackle in the in the quarter uh, in the semifinals or the final. So this I put down straight to the player Berger. Berger he had half a second to make a better judge, uh, adjustment, and he could have made a far better tackle. So uh, different to Francois Herbert, who was literally on all. On his knees trying to make the tackle to get low enough burger just was poor technique on uh in my opinion 
Yeah, I saw that one was very uh, much divided on, on Twitter. I was actually going to bring it up here, but it looks like I've had to throw in the towel from a network point of view. It just doesn't seem like the network's actually strong enough to bring that tackle up. But interesting one, and uh, I guess brings us to the end of the uh, the Super Rugby chat. We'll we'll move on to just very briefly onto the Six Nations now, guys, because there was three games of uh, Six Nations. We had uh, 17-0 Scotland over Italy. I don't really think we have to spend too much time on that game. But for me, the, the, the two games which warrant a little bit of chat is Wales against France. France winning on the road. I've got to say I was on them at just over 2-1. to one. I love this French side. And, um, and of course, England beating Ireland convincingly. And Andre, let's start with you. Any, any thoughts on that Six Nations? Can we expect France to kick on and perhaps win the Grand Slam? I, I, think, I think France has set themselves up to do it. The, um, they, I read today that you know, a, lot of, a lot of people are talking them up to being a great side. I think they, they're currently a, a team with lots of potential. And over the next two or three years, we're going to really see how that potential, how, can, can they really achieve, uh, achieve their potential? So um, they're very young. Uh, they're very well balanced. They've got a good coaching team. Uh, Sean Edwards is doing great stuff with their defense. I think they've gone and after the World Cup, I think they might may have even gone and did their homework on what Rassi did to turn the box around over in such a short period of time. Plus, these youngsters that uh, that they've got are they know how to win tournaments, and that's that's quite critical. Um, regarding Wales. Alan Wynne Jones, I don't know what's happening there. Like I've been a fan from him from the very first time he got the captaincy, then he lost it. I really, I think he leads from the front. But this week on that field, I think as a captain, he he lost. I'm not saying he lost his team, but I, he lost control of his team. Um, I know Graham Love put up a, a nice little video clip of there of um, uh, Dan Bigger flapping his arms. And he added a tune, I, I believe I can fly. Um, but his decision-making as a captain, I, I, it's been a long time since I've questioned his ability to lead. And uh, just before halftime, they, they had the French on the, on the halfway line. And they won, a yellow, they won a yellow card with about a minute to go. And they carried on with the scrums to try and score a try. And what ended up happening is they ended up eating into the the yellow card. So, in, if they just if they had taken the penalty, they would have gone into the second half, yes, behind, but they would have started the second half with nine minutes against uh, a ten man, uh, fourteen man French side, and then they could have tried to score a try from there. And yeah, it was just like that half. Uh, that, that moment before halftime, I think, is where the, where the uh, where the Walsh lost the game. It always amazes me um, when I see that sort of decision, and I think it could have been that game. It might have been another one on the weekend where I saw something similar, where teams choose to scrum. They're not exactly right on the line either, so there's quite a and they keep milking the penalties. But meanwhile, the clock keep, keeps on ticking on the yellow card. So I'm totally in agreement with you there. Just as I mean, I was absolutely impressed by France. I think the Welsh commentators were going on about the fact that France normally fade in the second half, and you'd argue that Wales did come back into it. But what would scare me if I was in the rest of the world rugby about this French team is the way they play requires incredible fitness, and they're not quite there yet. But if, if they've got now a few years to work with this, and if they keep on, to me, every game they're getting sort of fitter and fitter now, even at, at Six Nations level. 
And if they can put a squad together that can play that sort of tempo and that sort of pattern for 80 minutes, well, it's going to be very, very interesting when they're at home in the World Cup in 2023. Jacques, let's pop down to you, though, and get your thoughts on the Six Nations. I didn't watch much of it, but I did catch a lot of it today, you know, while working on it. And um, something that I've been thinking about the last few weeks, I mean, I heard somewhere that the average age of this French team is like 24. And, you know, the more I think about it and the more the results are coming through every week, it's like, you know, um, what is this team going to be like in four years' time? Um, you know, to play this kind of game for four years is, is asking quite a lot. But at the end of the day, in four years' time, you know, it's four years of experience that these young boys have gathered and then they'll be proper men. And, I mean, you can say whatever you want to. They, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. And it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, no, 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 you're not seeing the, the, this kind of drastic changes and team setups anywhere else in the world. You know, most of the guys are just carrying on from where they left off, you know, as as per the normal run of mill year by year things that tends to happen. Um, you know, you know, you don't see that kind of overall with any kind of team anywhere in the world. Um, so at the moment, it seems to be working. Whether they're going to be able to to keep it up it's a different story um i think i can't remember i think they're playing scotland next and then they've got ireland as the last match um for me it's kind of a bit of a you know if the french can keep on playing the way they are scotland is a no-brainer that it's it's they're going to get a bit of a work a workout but the, it's ultimately going to come down to that irish game which is going to be a hell of a match um i think thankfully for the french that game's going to be in france so um you know that's that's already you know a bonus for them in that regard but at the end of the day you know the irish will come at them um from an england side yeah you know england's england with eddie jones it's always you know now they've won and it's suddenly the talk of the town again but i don't honestly i mean they it seems like they forgot what happened was it two or three weeks ago you know so they've already lost to their friends at this stage of the game they can only be hoping for a miracle, you know, where maybe Scotland somehow get lucky against the French. Then, then suddenly it's open season. But um, and also there, you know, there's some dodgy stuff going on. I mean, Owen Farrell doing what he's doing and claiming stuff and ah, you know what? I don't know. It's just a bit of a. I don't know how long the show is going to carry on for, but it seems like at least Matt Proudfoot is getting something right um you know so you know he's at least earning his pounds or whatever he's getting paid in um at the moment um because he's you know it looks like the forwards um are starting to do a bit better and and it works because i mean they did quite well um uh, i think a lot of people thought that ireland might you know um win this game but um yeah you know it was like i, I saw a few tweets before the game saying in the past you know you'd um you'd say yeah, England's got this, you know, especially playing at Twickenham. Um, and now it's not so much the case anymore where you, you know, you, you, you won't put down all your chips on that anymore. But anyway, that's, yeah, I mean, uh, in just touching briefly on Italy, I, I, I just feel sorry for Franco Smith. I don't know what he must be going through or what he's thinking. You know, he must probably be thinking Bloemfontein is such, such a better place. But oh well, I guess hopefully the money is good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I must say, yeah, and the poor old Italians 
yeah, they really are. They really are battling at the moment because I thought Scotland were pretty poor on the day as well. In fact, I know uh, myself included. I followed a couple of guys in the Good for the Game forum going overs on points in that game, and it was an absolutely low-scoring game in perfect conditions. It was just a very poor game of rugby to watch. I've got to say that the Wales-French game, totally the opposite. I thought it was an incredible game to watch. Very impressed with France. Just got the feeling that Wales, they're lacking that X factor as far as scoring. You know, when France were ahead, I knew Wales would come back at them. But I had quite a lot of confidence that France would be able to keep them out because Wales just seemed to lack that, that, that cutting edge at the moment. And Tyler, let's bring you on there. Any, any thoughts on the, on the Six Nations? Did you manage to catch any of it? Um, I think just the first thing is that I think Franco Smith would prefer crying about his team in Rome than in Bloemfontein. I think personally that would be a better option. Um, <laughs> not too much to talk about with Italy and Scotland. I do though think that Scotland might, maybe they might pull a surprise against France. Um, I think it helps that France have a week off. If this game was this week, I think France might be, would have been a bit too tired to do a double um, in Cardiff and then in Merrifield as well. So maybe the week off would help it. But, you know, the, the French um, tactics are quite high risk, high reward. Um, they're obviously quite familiar to us Springbok fans. Aggressive defense, pushing up. I saw Dupont Strait, I think his best after clack and in, in, impression that he could. And, you know, that thing ties you out. So I think week by week, you know, as they get used to it, as they learn to trust each other more, you know, it can sort of produce results. But, I think on the day, a team can catch you out and a team can sort of exploit gaps um, if um, players aren't at their stations. But yeah, France had a brilliant game. I thought they would lose in, in Cardiff. And I think they just showed a lot of maturity um, in that situation. Um, you know, Ntamak, I think, played an absolutely classy game. Um, he's, he's way too young to be playing a game as, as mature as he did. Um, he, was really able to just to control the game and get the passing going and um, also make the interception try as well. And I have a lot of time for the background as well. You know, I don't think they're necessarily individually as good as some of the other back rows around the world, but as a unit, they just are able to get everywhere and they're in the opposition spaces the whole game. So yeah, France, I think just, you know, it's pretty scary what could happen if France does do a France and, you know, fires the coach in a year and everyone hates each other and we have a, a revolution of sorts. Like if this team actually just stays together, like, you know, it will be, it'll be players all with 50 caps and they're all about 28 in their peak. And, you know, it'll be very scary to face them in Paris and in the World Cup. Um, Wales, I think, I think some players, they're missing some players, obviously, Davies, North, um, went off and, uh, Liam Williams, and I think Falatau is still coming back into form. I, I don't think it was that bad. I mean, obviously, the, how they're acting was a, bit, was a bit ridiculous, but I don't think they're too far off. Um, there's enough there to think, you know, maybe they could sort of get themselves back to it, but I think a big question for them is just replacing um, Alan Wynne Jones in the lock position. Like, who's going to sort of take for, take on that role and um, drive the, the engine room and the forwards? In terms of England versus Ireland, I think, you know, I think the France win at Cardiff gave a bit of context to the France win against England, you know, that maybe, you know, people overreacted a little bit to the England performance, you know, they got beaten by a really good team, as we're seeing now, I think, you know, England aren't too far off themselves, 
And I think they can also, they, they're also quite a young team, like in general. There's not too many sort of players over 30 in that team. So they, they will just get more, more experience. And, you know, I just think Eddie Jones was just, he's getting in, in his own way, I think, now. I don't know if it's sort of like a Jose Mourinho situation where after three years, he gets over the team and sort of starts self-distracting. But he was either sort of just not take this approach with the press of trying to put the, the news and the pressure on, on himself or, you know, just take a step back, I think, because, you know, it's just creating such a negative sort of vibe around the team. But, yeah, England, I think they did pretty well. Um, it looks like the Courtney Laws experiment at six is working and Paris playing pretty well. Um, I am a big fan of the Farrell Ford sort of double um, pivot system as well. And Ireland, yeah, I think they they still, uh, I think they're just trying to find what their direction will be in the next um, cycle. And I think they can take a lot from the second half as well. So, yeah, Six Nations is still open. I, I'm, yeah. I, I could see Scotland beating France, and if they do, then obviously that opens up. I think the winning of the Six Nations. So yeah, I think it's 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 it's, uh, it's a good level of rugby for four of the countries. The other two, um, they might join the Pro 14 at this rate. That's it, Tyler. I'm gonna just close the sound off there on you now. But but uh, fully um, fully agree with you on, on the Six Nations. In fact, I've got to say that I love this tournament. You know, I, I really watching that Wales-French game. I unfortunately didn't get to see too much of England-Ireland. But the quality of the handling in that Welsh-French game was also superb. But guys, that brings us to the end of the show. I'll give you each an opportunity just to make a, a final comment. And perhaps give me a, a prediction. I want to know the Bulls against Aguiaris this weekend. Who's going to win and by how many points? Andre, I'll start with you. Yo. Um, I'm gonna. I think the Bulls have got their, their their backs against the wall, and they're gonna be very desperate. And I know I think the Wagares have got two or three injuries. I know Dalgi's headed back home. I saw just before the show. I think he's injured, so I think there might be a little bit of disruptions. And normally teams, you know, the second week on tour they're a little bit lackluster. So uh, I think the, I think the Bulls can. It can do it. I'll I'll back them, but but no more than four points, and they'll need to be on point and make good, great decisions, take the points in their own offer, and hopefully there isn't a flipping uh, torrential thunderstorm half an hour before the game. Yeah, I certainly hope the groundsman has been able to even repair the pitch from last week because it really did it did look terrible. Jacques, let's go to you on this one. In fact, before I go to you, I'm gonna. I'm going to please you and say that I'm also in the Bulls camp this weekend. I think they're going to win the game, and I'm going Bulls by six. What do you say? Wow. Yeah. I don't know why you had to go with this prediction, but anyway, um, maybe I should start predicting against the Bulls, and then things will happen. I don't know, because whenever I back them, they just don't want to win. But uh, you know what? Honestly, it's not because it's Monday. Or whether it was Thursday today, at this stage of the game, thinking of what happened last year against the, you know, with the Jags, I mean, seeing what's happened in three games now, it's flipping hard to, sorry, you know, say it like that. But, you know, like I said in, in when I did when we did speak about the Bulls, I, I, I really believe that it's just a matter of clicking. You know, if it's going to click, it's going to work. But it's got to happen this weekend. Um, 
as a bull supporter, I'm going to go low. But, yeah, it's a very... Uh, like I like I've been saying on my tweets when I've been putting out predictions because I don't play Super Brew this year at all, um, just because I want to enjoy the sport for what it is, and um, and I have been enjoying it to be very honest because there's no, you know, no outside pressure or something, and um, yeah, it's just uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a hard one for me this week, but you know I'll, I'll keep the faith, but let's put it this way: I won't be shocked if we don't win. Right, let's get Tyler to give the last word on the show. Tyler? Um, I think the Bulls will have to wait another week for their first win. Um, I think the Highlanders game will be a lot more um, <clears throat> winnable than, than the than the Warriors. I think the Warriors also, I'm not mistaken, they did rest a few players for in the Stormers game. I think they rotated their hookers and all that sort of stuff. So I think they were targeting this game. Or the reason to. So I think they were they were trying to see get five points in Victoria if they can can get like a bonus point in Cape Town that would also be good. So I yeah I think I'd, I'd go Bulls there and then I think for the Six Nations I I, I said England at the start of the tournament I'm going to stay there. I so that means a big favor needs to be done by Scotland. Um, in, in, in that game, Maryfield. So that's uh, in two weeks' time. But I, I think England might just sneak in a Six Nations win and then we'll never hear the England from Eddie Jones. Excellent, guys. Thanks very much. Uh, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks to all the guys in the live chat. Just a reminder to those who enjoy the betting angle, we've got the Handicap Rugby Chat that matters. That's Thursday night at 9 o'clock. So join us live on YouTube for that one. And then, yeah, some great uh, Super Rugby coming up. I have put... Um, a link to the Good for the Game forum thread down in the description box below. So join us there if you do enjoy the betting angle, guys. Thanks very much for for the, for the show. Uh, sorry about my challenges on the on the the, the, the Wi-Fi front. I'll be having a good moan at Afri hosts on Twitter and see if that can make any difference. But uh, good to have all you lads on, and, and thanks to the guys who who joined us in the live chat as well. We'll catch you Thursday night at nine o'clock. <laughs>